Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to a premium episode titled Recovering from Church Burnout. I'm really excited for you all to be here this week. I'm so, so grateful for each of you and your patronage, your support of the show. And so now that I'm kind of restructuring, I want to start off the bonus episode restructuring with my dear friend, Josh. So Josh Scott, if you don't know, is the pastor at Grace Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee, a place where he is just stewarding space for people who have burned out, walked away from faith, disconnected themselves from harmful systems that oppress or confuse or afflict uh, the very people that we're supposed to be serving and loving well. And so his experience, much like mine, much like many of yours, is that the church world is really difficult to navigate, especially when you start asking questions and can no longer conform to the prescribed answers. So this conversation is one that made me laugh. And at the end of it, you will hear him talk a little bit about his new book. I'll drop a link in the show notes because if you are not familiar with his work, you should be. Not to shit on everybody, but for reals, his work is wonderful. Okay. And that's it for me. Thanks for listening. Here's my extra interview with Josh Scott. Okay, everybody, welcome back. It's Mandy here. You're listening to a premium bonus episode interview with our dear friend, Josh Scott. We're so happy you're here, Josh. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, of course. You're officially a repeat guest. Congratulations. It's a highest honor that could be bestowed upon you right now. So I hope you understand the weight. (laughs) Well, and I'm not one who gets invited back very many places. So (laughs) it's for sure an honor. Well, good. I'm so glad to hear it. So one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this, of course, is um, just revamping the layout of the show, but especially because there were so many beautiful things and interesting comments that I received from people who heard pieces of your interview or listened to the whole thing. Um, Because around the work you do with, with your progressive Christian church in Nashville is creating space for people who have been leaders in their church communities, who've either been, you know, small group leaders all the way up to pastors and worship leaders for years who are just at the end of everything, really not knowing what to do next or how to rebuild after burning out to say the least. So I'm just curious and would love to hear a little bit from you about, you know, how you approach individuals who are feeling that lost, who are like, okay, this is my last ditch effort to not completely disintegrate in my faith practices. Yeah, <clears throat> and you're right. You know, our community, Grace Point, really is uh, made up all sorts of people, but we have surprising number of former pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't use former pastor because they still very much show up that way in the space, in the sense of caring about people and and, and trying to be present for people. But there, there is a certain amount of, I mean, it's hard to describe what happens when the closest thing I can get is it's sort of like having the rug jerked out from under your feet Mm. when you essentially lose the community maybe that you've known your entire life. Um, And I experienced that personally in two ways. One was a while ago. Um, You know, I was, I was probably in the, the mid stages of my process. I was finally starting to talk about things publicly that I hadn't talked about a lot. And, I got invited to a local campus ministry where we lived at a college 
uh, at a university. And it was the campus ministry similar to the same campus ministry I did in college, right? Like it was, they changed the name when I was in college, it was the Baptist Student Union, but now it's the Baptist Campus Ministry, the BCM. And they'd invited me to preach before and I had, but this one particular day I'd um, set my slides in. I was supposed to preach that night at eight because they started at eight. And I was already at the point in my life where I was like, I don't really start anything at eight. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I was in my thirties then. And I was like, I start I, brushing my now, teeth, I'm, bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, done. I'm, I'm probably like wearing sweatpants and watching a movie at this point in the night. But I sent my slides in and I included a quote from Marcus Borg, who's one of my favorite, um, the late Marcus Borg. And the quote, had had some it was something to do like you can believe all the right things and be miserable you can believe all the right things and be unchanged you know changing your, your beliefs has little what you intellectually assent to has little you know transformative value so i get a phone call from the campus minister he's like hey i saw your slides i think we need to go a different direction and i was like oh you know i, I hear you I, I just don't have time to prepare anything else you know i've got a busy week he's like no we need to go a different and it went back and forth with me going i can't and him going we need to go different. it took me a long time to realize he was actually uninviting me yeah like he was he was breaking up with me very passive and i'm and i'm over here going like i don't have time to prepare a new talk and he's like no we don't want you to <laughs> <laughs> oh and you know that that was the first time for me it was like oh this thing i was a part of right cuz yeah you know, I was uh, pretty heavily involved in the thing I was a part of. Now I'm, I'm no longer being invited to be a part of. And then the other thing happened in the summer of 21, I guess, when, and I hadn't considered it valid for a long time, but my home church, the Baptist church I grew up in, uh, held a public meeting to uh, revoke my credentials and, and like sent me an official letter on letterhead that I had been, you know, I was a heretic and had been. Oh. And it was fine. Like uh, if they had asked me and they wouldn't have had to gone through it, I'd have mailed it to them. Sure. But, but it was sort of the public disavowal. Like we just want everybody to know we're not associated with this person <sighs> anymore. And even though it had been a long time, I didn't consider myself a Baptist or those be those credentials valid for years. There was just sort of a moment like, wow, like I lost my hometown. You know what I mean? Like I, I lost, lost, you know, some of the people who wrote that letter to me were, people I'd baptized, people I'd served with when I was, you know, even on staff there yeah. 20 some years, you know, 20 years ago. And, um, and so that, you know, all that has been really fresh. That, that has been fresh in my mind. And I talk to people all the time who, and it's, you know, losing a place to go on a Sunday morning, you can find another place to go on a Sunday morning, right? You, you can go to a different church. You could go to brunch. You could find a thing to occupy your time. That's not the problem. The problem is the, the relationships and what that represents. Mm-hmm. and essentially being you know there's something about having a place on a map and being able to say that's where I'm from mm-hmm. and no matter where I go in the world I can go back there and it's not like I got an official letter from my hometown but that was such a big part of my hometown experience mm-hmm. that it really was sort of like being you know like they're, they're never going to hang a sign out no matter what I do that says you know hometown of Josh Scott <laughs> uh, they're trying to, to trying to distance themselves. So, and I I meet people all the time who whether that whether that home quote unquote hometown for them was their denomination, or their you know their church tradition, or whether it was their family of origin, or all their I mean I don't have friends going that go back, you know, thirty years anymore because we the uh, you know well they don't talk to me. So that is and I used to do this thing where I was like I just really don't care you're blind, you know and there was a certain part of me that believed that but. 
I'm now at the point where I can say, gosh, you know what? It, it doesn't really alter my life now, but it hurts. And that's a real thing. Like I feel grief around this, this being the way things are. Um, and so I think for me, it's, it's been what I try to invite people to do is, yeah, you got to move forward, of course, when it's appropriate and you have to, you can't let this stop you and your momentum and your movement. You can't, well, so-and-so decided that I was a heretic, so I should stop following where I think this is going. Of course not, but it is right and good to pause, reflect, and grieve all of those losses that come with this territory. Mm. Yeah, we were just talking about it um, with a group of friends the other day. It feels like an invitation is rescinded when you have something that you are so intimately connected with and included in suddenly shut doors in your face and say, no, we're good. Thank thank you so much. We're so good. And you feel like this salesman with a stack of textbooks or encyclopedias or whatever that you're like, wait, I'm not a foreigner among you. <laughs> we have sat at tables and we have cried together and all of a sudden I'm not the person you think I was. It's astounding because internally, I think at our baseline, I don't feel like my personality or my behavior will have changed. Right. Maybe I've become more willing to open my arms or more willing to listen and more willing to hear. In fact, I feel where I've expanded, I've become the most risky and dangerous to people. Yeah, for sure. Because that, when you, when you become uncontrollable, and what I mean by that is, you know, for so long, for most of us, there were doctrines that controlled us, they, yeah. they, theologies that controlled us. And when you suddenly are no longer beholden to those, I mean, I do think there's a sense of fear. I, I think there's a sense of frustration, like we're still bound to these things. Why, why isn't she? Sure. Um, we still have to play by these rules, but she's acting like she doesn't even know these rules exist. And, and so there's a sense of, of that, but I also think I used to say it didn't change or move. I did, yeah. which I, I felt like was true for a while, but now I think it's, I actually think it's, they changed too. They just went the opposite direction mm-hmm. and I went the other opposite direction. And so suddenly there was there, we just both moved so much that, and, and when you, can't defend it can't explain it you 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 attack it Mm. and one of the ways you attack it is i mean one of the ways you try to get people to do what you want is through control like through manipulation and control and one of the ways you manipulate people is like hey let's leave everybody on let's leave these people on their own until they come to their senses which is actually just a really terrible way to treat people yeah, to say the least. I, when you were talking, I had this vision of um, like a small bridge and there were supports underneath the bridge. And as people were creating disconnect or moving further from one another, their distance was separating them. The bridge was elongating, but there were no longer as many supports in the middle. And I would just like pictured the bridge finally eventually cracking in the center and no longer having that borderline. At least there was somewhere to connect that we could come back together. And I think that for what it's worth, everything we're doing is moving us closer to ourselves or further from ourselves, our true self, our sense of self and identifying who we are. And the same is true of how we move toward or further away from other people as well. And I think it's interesting when you recognize those tactics, right? 
that we don't set out to create a framework of behavior management for people, not cognitively. Well, I say that for me, and I think I can say that pretty confidently for you. We don't set out to try and manipulate and control people. We've recognized, however, that the ways we have led have become manipulative or become emotionally evocative in a way that people feel very, very trapped or maybe not as free to move within those things. And you do decide to become ungovernable, unruly, and willing to, I guess, step further back simply because for me, I saw so much harm that was caused in my own life, but also that I was creating opportunities for harm for other people. And it's a pretty devastating recognition when you look back and think, well, I dedicated 20 years of my life to doing this thing or standing up for this um, doctrine or whatever it is to then realize, oh my gosh, now I have to unravel that. And I'm halfway done with this life. Does that mean the rest of my life is going to be this painful unraveling where people call me and say, by the way, just in case you were wondering, we don't like you anymore. We've been thinking about it and we've taken a vote and we think you're done and we're over you. Like that's a big thought. Yeah. And most of the time, in my experience, people do it passive aggressively. Yeah. Which, which makes it even worse. Like if you don't, yeah, I mean, just tell me, right. <laughs> you, you don't have, uh, you don't have to hint at it. Uh, you could just, you can just tell me. Be direct. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know that there's many people that appreciate the direct as much though, because they're self-protecting too, right? They don't want to hear from you mm-hmm. why that you were no longer interested in staying around. They just want to observe from a distance and make some snap judgments and say, cool, now yeah. we see it. That's true. <sighs> yeah. That said, direct is definitely a better approach because then you can be like, cool, we're clear, we're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't start with, I think we need to go a different direction. <laughs> That's That still blows my mind. I might start saying that. Well, Josh, what do you have to say for anyone? What do you have to say for yourself, sir? Um, <laughs> what do you have to say for anybody that that maybe is like testing the waters again, like you were saying, with people who have come to your church, a lot of them are are the people who've um, been in ministry or maybe even received a stripping of their ordinations um, when someone starts to test the waters again. So for context, like I just recently realized, oh, I haven't really sat in a church building for a long time. And I was in a high church building where, which is the, I grew up Lutheran. So that was familiar to me, but it had been a really, really long time. And it was amazing. I walked in expecting to feel a little bit, but also like to just emotionally shut it down and say like, whatever, we're here for a different purpose. I walked in and I felt so overwhelmed at the thought of like the hymnals in front of me. I wanted to literally just sit there and read them and think this music was so meaningful when I was six. Why did I think it wouldn't be meaningful? Like what in me said contemporary worship music was only the right way. Um, Mm. So anyway, all of that to say, I'm curious how you would like advise someone in a similar situation who says like, oh, you were a worship leader who's finally, you know, who's eradicated all of your worship music, but now you're thinking, well, wait a minute, that one actually seems theologically sound or feels okay. Um, like, how do you, how do you help someone find their way back into those things when that is what they want? Yeah. Well, I always recommend people take baby steps in terms of how they, you know, if they've been hurt, if they've been wounded, it's, I try to make sure when they come to our community that we don't immediately throw them back in the same 
spots they were in just with better theology because there's healing that needs to happen around that. But then, you know, one of the most helpful things I've learned, I think, is that we are way more like trees than we are aware of in that, you, you know, trees have rings. When you cut one open, you can count the rings. And every single one of those rings represents like a year, I guess, in a tree's growth. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm not an arborist, uh, but uh, that sounds about right. And, uh, you know, if you metaphorically cut us in half, you could count the rings. Mm-hmm. And so there, you know, I'm 41. And it's, it's not like I became 41 and took the 40 year old me out back and killed him right. or the 39 or 38, or, you know, how to count. So like it, all the way down, like all of those versions of, of me are in there. Mm. Um, now the 13 year old is no longer driving the bus, hopefully Let's sometimes, count. but hopefully not all the time. The unless, we're at, not driving the bus. unless we're at a theme park, if we're being honest, then the 13 year old gets to play. Right. I mean, so I I think it is to realize that all of those versions of us are still present. All of the traumas, all those versions of us experienced Mm -hmm. are still known. And that, you know, of course we can be processed and healed, but they're still, they're still in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think that the thing I've most, which it's, it's, we're recording this, we're we're a week away from the beginning of Advent. Mm-hmm. And we try to make sure when we sing music at Grace Point that we're singing music we can stand behind that was written by people who aren't being harmful and destructive, mm-hmm. that the theology is not harmful and destructive. Mm-hmm. We made this decision that at Christmas we're gonna sing we're gonna sing some Christmas carols because people need them and they love them. And we're gonna explain, like we don't acknowledge, we, we don't believe everything these carols say. So we're going to use them for a little bit of nostalgia purposes, right? So I think there is a thing there mm-hmm. where you sort of, Rory uses the language of transcend and include, that there are some things that even though you move on, there are still some things to be included. And there's a place I think, you know, uh, there's a place I hope, um, and Brian McLaren writes about this in Naked Spirituality and a couple other books where he talks about these stages of the spiritual life. And the last stage he talks about is the stage of harmony. And it's a stage where you've been through all the other stages, the deconstruction, all of it. And, and yet you find a way not to be cynical and at war with past versions of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, let me give you an example of this. We were at the Ryman a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, for a concert. It was a country concert. I've always liked country music. It's, uh, it's good because uh, where I live. Yeah, it's um, important. And this artist, she's about to sing a song she recently wrote. And it's about some a friend of hers dying. And it, a young age, tragically. And essentially the song is about her saying to him, I can't wait for you to show me around heaven. Um, and my theology around the afterlife cha- has shifted and changed a lot. I don't even know. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know. Most of the time I'm hopeful. Just don't know for sure. Yeah. And there was a, there was a time when, when I heard that song and heard her explanation, I, my eyes would have rolled so hard that they fell out of my head. <laughs> But something in that moment, I was able to just appreciate her experience mm-hmm. and how healing the song was for her. And somehow doing that made the people that I have lost that I miss dearly. It, it made them present to me in a way that they hadn't been in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And there was something about her, her expressing her grief, me being able to hear her experience without judging it, mm-hmm. without saying it doesn't fit my framework. So it's 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 cringe or I'm going to, you know, just ignore it, but allowing that to help me navigate my own experience was really, and I, whatever harmony is, I think that's as close as I've ever 
been to it hmm. and 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 that, that cynic me is still in there um i fight i fight him a lot but just that understanding that there are so that it, it is okay sometimes for me to engage things from my past that still feel meaningful even if i don't embrace the theology fully anymore even if whatever that, that it's okay nostalgia is a terrible leadership strategy Right. But it can be a really wonderful and healing experience mm-hmm. when it's experienced and not idolized, canonized, worshipped. Yeah, it, embracing it as a witness on behalf of someone in mm-hmm. community, giving someone the opportunity to feel seen and heard. And by that virtue, yourself being feeling seen and heard and allowing yourself to reconnect with things that you might have new meaning for. I think that that's a really, really difficult practice. (laughs) It's very difficult practice. And so, yeah, because I don't want to minimize and be like, oh, you just have to revisit something with a different perspective. It's easy. Um, No, it's actually super painful because part of our identities are intertwined in the things that we've believed for so long. Um, But I, yeah. I love that you, the quote you started with from Borg at the beginning, I'm going to get it and share it um, with this episode, because I think, I think you've said it to me before, but every time I hear it, I just think, oh, right. My, I'm not defined by what I believe. Okay. But, but it seems so revolutionary an act to actually decide to take that in. I mean, I can see why that group fired you because that is very, very counter to behavior management and very counter to this idea of, um, just, I don't know, self-managers. Like every time someone talks about self-management with kids, I just get really cringy because I'm like, what is it that you actually want them to manage themselves to your standard or to theirs? Because I look at children Mm -hmm. that are being silly or wild or whatever it is. And I'm like, that seems pretty well managed. Because when I was that age and I was that (laughs) jacked up on sugar or energy, it was a bloodbath if we weren't like, it could turn into a bloodbath, you know, like, so I feel like self-manager is just that, well, maybe squash down the playful childlike nature when the reality is, well, that's where we flourish from. That's where we find like companionship and communication and community with people in ways that as adults, we struggle to figure out how to do that. And I also think that that's part of what's difficult um, as you're stepping out of like, a leadership role is you're a natural, naturally attractive pe- person to other people, right? They they see you in a position of influence or authority or whatever that is. And to some degree, every one of us has taken advantage of that and said like, oh, I've seen, must seem interesting to people. They want to come talk to me or they mm-hmm. want to build a friendship. And then when that falls apart and you're like, cool, 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 cool. Everything is falling apart. I've built my life on sand. And not the rock of Jesus, Josh. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's just all so calm. And that's the other piece of this. It's all relationships. Take take away shifting faith, take away shifting beliefs, take away politics, all of it. Relationships are just kind of hard anyway. Yeah. Like we all bring our own unique selves to this and Everything about us is unique in so many ways. Even our issues and things we're struggling with or the things that shaped us, the mm-hmm. way we respond in, in fear, the way we respond in 
stress or like all of that stuff. And so then you, you, you take a cultural expectation that everybody's going to believe this. And then you have somebody who steps out of line and says, I actually don't think I believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. And suddenly the ability to maintain the status quo is being threatened. And what communities often default to is we, we just need things to be status quo. If we can just keep it status quo, then we can manage it. Right. But then you have somebody going like, yeah, I don't, I don't take that literally anymore. Or I don't believe that particular doctrine anymore. And then not only are you threatening the status quo, you're also like the new Pied Piper inviting other people to also do that. And suddenly the threat is too great. So something has to happen. And the person doing the tinkering, instigating questioning is the one who becomes the object of, of the community's desire to remain stable. Which I think is so unfair because I don't know anyone who has not consistently been asking questions with the exception of maybe four people. And even those four people who are asking questions, like, yes, they're asking questions and finding answers that um, like within their faith practice or within their people. But like, I mean, asking internal questions of, are, are we sure? Not are we certain, but are we sure that this is what we want to define and drive our motivation toward others? Am I certain that that interpretation of a scripture or whatever, as it is being manifested in this community is the way forward to inclusion and compassion and love in a way that I think represents the gospel. I I have always asked that question. And for the sake of fitting in and the sake of like connection, I've put those questions to the back burner because it's a lot easier to just meld into the group. Right. Especially when you're Mm -hmm. a leader to say, well, actually like this is chaotic and I don't want to be a part of it, but I've committed my yes is my yes. And so I'm, I'm here until I'm not until the Lord calls me elsewhere and you can hyper spiritualize it in a way that just absolutely undermines your, your intelligent mind and your created like sense of mystery and wonder and how you're asking those questions. Um, yeah. Hmm. You know, the other piece is, you know, we, I was always told I could ask questions, but it was implied that I had to ex- accept the answers that that was going to be given as a response. Yeah, that's a good one. So I was like, hey, yeah, you can ask us anything. Or the preacher would be like, hey, you go check me out and see if what I'm saying is in the Bible. Hmm. Um, and then you're like, well, no. Or actually, have a question <laughs> that your answer is not satisfactory. Yeah, and it's suddenly you know suddenly you're out of line. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to take too much of your time, but the last time we chatted, you did not have something very magical that is coming out very soon, and you yeah. do have that now, and you should talk about it. Yeah, I've, my book is finished. Um, Bible stories for grownups releases April fourth of twenty twenty three. Um, it can be pre-ordered now wherever you pre-order such things, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, those kind of places. And um, I can't believe it's done. My editor is doing the last round of edits, I think, right now. So my, my work here is done, um, at least I've on the writing end. That's it. <laughs> the writing is complete. And so I, I can't believe it. You know, when I logged on to Amazon the first time and there it was, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's real. Yeah. I, I kind of, you know, are they just, you know, they just like teasing me and like at the end there's no book (laughs) all this work for nothing and no there's a book and Mm. and so yeah april 4th next year comes out the tuesday of holy week uh which i don't you know which is great because i don't have anything else going on that week (laughs) 
um, that's going to require energy. Um, but I'm so excited. I can't wait for people to get to read it and uh, engage with some of the treatments of these stories. Um, it's been really, really a joy to yeah. put together. Good. You know, if you need some help promoting it, I'm sure the Baptist Campus Ministries will help get some like street team together. You know, we can just pass them out on the street corners. I'm sure they'll be guys, well too. Free copies if you're a student. They'll go really well. <laughs> I'll set it up. I'll coordinate uh, for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> All right, my friends, you're a delight as always. Thank you for making time oh, for same. this. Of course, thank you for having me again. Yeah, you want to come back sometime? I don't care. Let's do it. Oh, wow, a triple. I would love that. Okay. Triple invite. I'll figure out something to talk about. We'll make it happen. Okay. Okay. Thanks again for listening to this bonus episode of Restorative Grief. I think one thing I love about Josh's perspective is that he's not just making stuff up. He's lived it. He's experienced so many of the things firsthand that people are experiencing left and right, both in his community and in these beautiful online communities that we're experiencing and building as well. So when you are feeling isolated or feeling disconnected, I want to remind you very gently that there are people who can not only just relate, but who are willing to hold space and bear witness to your story as you learn what serves you well as you continue to pursue healing. If this is your first time listening to Restorative Grief as a patron, thank you for being here. Check the show notes for links to Josh's book and remember to leave a review and certainly reach out to people who you think may benefit from this work because obviously you believe in it or you wouldn't be here. Okay, that's it for me. Take care of yourself. And as always, please remember the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon.